1: Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. A lot that we will be delving into as we gear up an inch closer to the NFL scouting combine, but a lot of news around the NFL pertaining to the Giants. So we'll get into that and more and an opportunity for you to weigh in at 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phone, not a problem. We won't hold that against you. You can head to social media. Hashtag Giants Chat. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. So next week is going to be extremely busy, Paul, but I would say this week stole a lot of headlines as well. It's just another example. The NFL offseason never slows down. It is a 365 business 24-7. I know we're all annoyed that we don't have games, rightfully so, but... I was still convinced there was still going to be plenty of content out there for us to consume.
2: You know, it's funny, Lance. I've often said, you know, I'd love football more than anything else. I mean, it's- Get out of here, really? I had no idea. It is my life's blood.
1: Spoiler alert. And
2: and as much as I love the fact that the NFL does stay in the news 12 months out of the year, because when I started 40 years ago, that wasn't the case. Okay, there were selected off-season opportunities for the NFL to make its way- into the news cycle, but it was Coverage nothing, was a lot different, too. Nothing like what it was now. The problem is now we've gone overboard. We now have NFL news 12 months out of the year, and many of those months it's a lot of embellishment and clickbait and speculation and a lot of garbage about garbage. And And that's the disappointing part because as much as I love the league and i wish that there would be as many months as possible of legitimate nfl news there's so much smoke and so much ah out there that fills up the offseason that it truly makes me yearn for training camp to start again and as much as i do love the game of pro football with all due respect to the usfl people and the xfl people um That stuff's tough to watch.
1: Well, it's different. It's a developmental league. That's what it is. I think the coaches and the players would admit that. Nobody's saying that it's going to be a conduit for players to jump high volume-wise to the NFL. But, hey, if you love the sport and you don't care about the primary players, you can maybe sit down and watch it. Clearly, the product is very different. I understand exactly what you're talking about. But I would say if you sit down and watch that, you absolutely love the game. You're not too worried about the uniforms, the numbers. You just love the game of football, and you'll sit down and probably watch a JV game in high school if you're going to sit down for that.
2: Understood. Understood. I I believe it or not, I actually would rather watch a really good college game than I would the XFL or the USFL. Uh, Understandable. Sure. Well, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait a few months for that as well,
1: Paul. So we can't help you out in that department. It's the XFL, then the USFL, or just wait patiently I know. and feed off of speculation. But we do not have speculation to discuss on this program, which is good. We actually have some factual info, and let's start with some items connected to the Giants. First up, Davis Webb is now officially making the transition from player to coach. Sean Payton adding him as the QB coach. Mm-hmm. I think we all anticipated this. Maybe we thought perhaps he'd start in-house with the Giants. He certainly would probably not be the quarterback's coach because that's Shane Tierney, but this was... Burning a fire in him over the last few years. Remember, he was contemplating whether or not to play another season with the Giants. So, Paul, this is not startling news, but I will say this. Heck of an opportunity right out of the gates, right, to work under that head coach. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be somebody that's going to be responsible to try to get Russell Wilson and
2: company back on track. So a good challenge ahead for Davis Webb. Don't forget Joe Lombardi's out there, too, who's also very well-respected. Former As Saints
1: it, offensive coordinator, QB coach with Sean Payton.
2: Exactly. So you're talking about two guys who, in my opinion, are probably some of the better who, uh, who could teach and mentor Davis Webb. Now, look, Davis himself, when Brian Dable was named NFL Coach of the Year at NFL Honors, Davis Webb tweeted out, go, he loves Brian Dable. I've talked to Davis about when he came back here. And it was because of Brian Dable that he decided to, you know what, I'm going to continue playing. He easily could have gone into coaching last oh, year. Yeah, the Bills absolutely. had an offer for him. Sure. And to be frank with you, he said to me, the offer had to be right. He wasn't just going to play because he was stubborn. He, it was going to have to be the right offer. That's how much he thinks about Brian Dable, that he decided to come down here and put off coaching for another season. So when the Dolphins came calling for him, a couple of weeks left in the year, when Tua and company got hurt,
1: right. Teddy Bridgewater as well,
2: and they were going to sign him to the act of fifty-three. Now you recall earlier this year, the Giants had boosted him up to the fifty-three for one week, yep, as a gratitude a reward. Sure. reward, a gratitude thing. So he goes, and they, you know, guys, the Dolphins want to, you know, all right, here's what we're going to do: we're going to rest our guys anyway. So you're starting that last game against Philadelphia. So he went into that week being told by Dable that he was going to start against Philly. So he brought his parents to the game because in his mind, he was thinking, you know what? This could be it. My one shot. Because there's a very real chance that I will go into coaching at the end of the season. And basically, that's what happened. Now, I think the reason for the timing of the decision is because we did not know what was going to happen with Kafka. Had Mike Kafka left and taken the job with the Cardinals or the Colts, which are the two places where he interviewed, there's not only a chance that he would have been gone, but he could have taken Shane Tierney. Sure. Tierney gets
1: elevated, let's say. Or somebody else with him. No, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So in my opinion, the logical transition for Davis Webb, and I think it was going to happen because Brian Dable has said nothing but the finest things about Davis his professionalism, his preparation, uh, his intelligence level. He loves the kid. So I think he would have been, I don't necessarily believe he would have been the offensive coordinator. No. no but no. I think Tierney might have gotten promoted to OC. That's if, exactly what I'm If thinking. he stayed, if he stayed, and if he had gone with Kafka, That's right, I think taken him. Webb would have been the new quarterback coach. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think once this was determined that those guys were staying here, and there was no opening for Davis to be a coach here, I think that's when it clicked into him that, you know what, if there's another coaching opportunity out there now, maybe I should just grab it. And when you get a call from Sean Payton (laughs) and ask you, do you want to be on my offensive staff, you're going to listen. Yeah, something tells me he's not going to (laughs)
1: hesitate. However, he's also fortunate how the coaching cycle played out because you brought up an interesting nugget Mm -hmm. that maybe he was – seeing and waiting if things were brewing with Mike Kafka. The process overall, Paul, if you remember, we had a lot of conversations all four, was much later than previous years, meaning just the hirings, right? Jonathan Gannon after the Super Bowl, Shane Steichen after the Super Bowl, and even Sean waited till he ultimately made a decision to go to Denver. You wonder if that happens a lot sooner. Remember, there's always urgency to fill out your staff. You got the combine next week, before you know it, free agency, the draft. You need members of your staff in tune looking at potential free agents. I just wonder if Webb would have had the luxury to wait out the Giants to see if Mike Kafka got a gig.
2: Well, as it played out, the timing, I think, was was, was good for him. Absolutely. Yeah, Uh, extremely beneficial. I will say this. I have nothing but admiration for that guy. Davis is such a cool dude, such a professional. And, you know, I, I look, I'm... I'm still not backing off of the fact that I think he can play in this league. I really do. But, unfortunately, he kept getting stuck behind number one draft picks everywhere he went, whether he was with the Giants, the Jets, Eli, or Josh the Bills. Allen, yeah. you know, even with the Jets, he was stuck behind Darnold at the time when Darnold was a, a golden boy. Yeah. So he was stuck no matter where he went. Then he gets stuck behind Daniel Jones here. you know. So there was nothing he was going to be able to do, really, to show his wares, and I'm just glad for him that he performed at a at a quality level in Philly in that last game. I mean, he was getting chased for his life in that first half of the game and yeah. did everything he could to survive and to keep the Giants in it. And then in the second half, he absolutely made a run. Well, I he mean, to, he did good things. He literally made a run. He had yeah. a rushing touchdown where he knocked over a guy he, in route to the end It was end a good zone. game.
0: Yeah, it was a good game. Well, for
1: him, from an individual performance, there's no doubt about it. And now in hindsight and you were going through the chain of events with the Dolphins, I just wonder if he's thinking this is it, and let's say the Giants do have a meaningful game in the final week of the season, because you don't know, right? You don't know how the mathematics are going to play out. Does the Miami situation become even more attractive because that would have been his last shot to actually go down as a starter in some capacity in the NFL? I just wonder... Does that shift his mindset? Knowing going in down the stretch of the season, he was thinking this is going to be the end of the line for me.
2: Possibly. Now I think when Miami entertained the offer uh, to bring him in here, they were bringing him in as a backup. I think
1: it's possible, but I'm still thinking if I'm David Webb,
2: they you know I think well they
1: may have had well they had Skylar Thompson who ultimately started and then they on the roster. signed they Glennon insurance. instead. Correct. So they needed insurance. But, hey, with the way the cards were falling in place in Miami. <laughs> I mean, once again, you never wish somebody get hurt, Paul. But yeah. don't you like your chances of maybe. Maybe maybe. getting maybe shot? And remember, Miami maybe. also made the playoffs, too. So, yeah.
2: Anyway, bottom yeah. line is, I wish Davis Webb all the best. I think he's going to be a terrific coach in this league. I well, really do. The one guy
1: that comes to mind, and it's interesting because you were talking about what he may have been if the Giants lost Kafka. And I'm with you. It probably would have been QB coach. It's too significant of a jump to throw somebody in it reminds me a lot of kellen moore paul Mm -hmm. Kellen moore with the cowboys right he immediately went from being dak prescott's teammate to being his qb coach and then before you know it he was the play caller
2: well what happened with kafka
1: sure kafka's another one not as quick but, I think but a more similar, is a better example. Yeah, a
2: similar path no, that Webb may follow.
1: Yeah, cuz Kafka remember he went back to Northwestern the alma mater. He, did. he was a grad assistant. I mean, we're talking not many guys go from their playing days to no, a QB coach. No. Davis Webb's on the fast track. Yeah, well,
2: because that's how well thought of he is.
1: Yeah. Now, speaking of other coaching movement This is – I want to make sure I preface this so that everybody understands. This is not official. We're just going based on reports. Mm -hmm. The Giants, they know they lost their running backs coach, DeAndre Smith, who was here under Brian Dable for year one. Went to the Colts. Went to the Colts under Shane Steichen, their new head man. So the Giants clearly have a vacancy at running backs. Coach, according to multiple reports, they are bringing in Jeff Nixon, veteran NFL coach. He was with the Carolina Panthers for the last three seasons going back to 2020. He was the RB coach. In 2020, running back coach and then interim offensive coordinator in 2021 because he took over Joe Brady, who was fired. And then last season, he was the assistant head coach of offense. We just remember they brought in Ben McAdoo as their new offensive coordinator. So he has a lot of Giants connections. We'll start with McAdoo, but... He crossed paths with Brian Dable. Brian Dable was the Dolphins' offensive coordinator in 2011. Nixon was the running back's coach, so there we go. Another interwoven relationship, (laughs) as I always bring up. And then Mike Kafka, he crossed paths with. Kafka was a quarterback on the Eagles roster in 2010. Nixon was an offensive special teams assistant. So I don't think it's a surprise, Paul, that there is some carryover between Nixon and the two guys that are steering the ship mm. on offense. But this is an individual that has a wealth of NFL experience. Clearly, he has relationships on staff. And the other thing that's appealing to me, and we don't know what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley, but he's coming off of his most recent running back is Christian McCaffrey. Right. And if he does have the opportunity to work with Saquon, assuming Saquon returns, you like the similar skill set mm. connection what he was exposed to with Christian McCaffrey, what he would jump aboard here with Saquon.
2: I understand the parallel, no doubt. I mean, we see how versatile both players are. And in reality, you know, McCaffrey has been used a little bit more in the passing game. And I think we thought Barkley would. In fact, let me me say something interesting. I don't know if you had a chance to see the post-season interview that Xavier McKinney did with one of those social website programs no i did not okay very interesting mckinney had wondered and pondered out aloud during the interview how much he thought we would see more of barkley in the passing game because we saw a lot of that during training camp and And he's on the
1: opposite side of the ball and they did
2: not get to see much of that during the season something that i had professed all during the year, like, I think we're going to see more of this. I think we're going to see more of this. I've seen it, folks. Trust me. It's there. Well, McKinney had the same bewilderment (laughs) when he was doing this interview. And, And look, I know it's week by week, matchup by matchup, situation by situation that overwhelmingly dictates the plays that are called. I'm not criticizing Dable or Kafka when I say that they left a lot of that stuff in the playbook and did not necessarily bring it out. Because maybe, given the circumstances, they just didn't feel like those plays and a lot of what they worked at dur- during training camp was appropriate for these games in these specific instances. Look, they got this team to the playoffs. I'm not going to criticize course, yeah. you know, that they left some of the playbook in between the pages. I'm not going to do it. But just so you folks know, we weren't smoking you, and Xavier McKinney felt the same thing that we felt there, were, there was stuff that we just never got to see. They never unwrapped. I would go back to that and say that if Barkley returns, and again, I fully believe that he will, I suspect that we'll see more of that when, when the opportunity rises.
1: I thought you were going to give us a defensive nugget or take us to a whole other realm. I didn't know you were going to give us McKinney- Weighing in on the offensive side of the ball. Interesting.
2: It it was an interesting, revealing comment which fortified everything that we had already tried to tell people. Just out of curiosity, how did that
1: come up? Was there a question about Saquon returning, and that's how he... Brought that Um, up. I'm just interested because it's like you wouldn't think of asking McKinney, oh, by the way, can you explain why Saquon didn't get the ball as much as a wide receiver?
2: I can't remember if the question was specifically about Barkley returning or if it was just about the offense in general. And he took it. How much better the offense was. No, it was just interesting. And then he had discussed the fact that, boy, there's a lot of stuff that we saw in training camp that we never got to see again.
1: And remember, a big part of why we were discussing on this show, too, is we figured Saquon, the ability. To get on the field for an entire season, knowing how Kafka and Dable could tap into his unique skill set. Dable didn't have a running back like Saquon that you would think maybe not getting 90 some odd receptions, right? Like he did as a rookie. I figured 70 to jump,
2: 75. Yeah.
1: No, I think we were all in that what same. What do you have? Part. Mid 50s, right? I believe that's what he finished with. Let me look it up to be specific. So. Here. But definitely the anticipation was that he'd have numbers that were a bit higher than mm-hmm. what he finished with in terms of the
2: receptions 57. Was his exact number. You know, I mean, anyway, uh, I know, uh, again, that's a little bit kind of around the bout to what you were asking me. But I do think that the the McCaffrey connection and because of how he is used in the uh, offenses that were Carolina and then San Francisco could potentially give us a little bit more of a, I don't know, a window or a sprinkling of that kind of stuff with Barkley.
1: The other thing that I wanted to bring up, because I think this comes up, when we talk about positional coaches, Paul, and we've gone in-depth, especially when Brian Dable hired his staff, you say to yourself, well, what impact did a guy like DeAndre Smith make that in his absence, what does Jeff Nixon, who once again reportedly will replace him, need to maybe come in and pick up where he left off? I will say this. I mean, Saquon we know has tremendous talent. We didn't need a new running back coach to unveil that. Mm-hmm. I do think, though— that And this is not something that I heard on the record from DeAndre Smith during the season because a bunch of the positional coaches obviously spoke regularly. But it seemed as if he made an impact on Saquon in pass protection. And no I'm curious question. what you thought about that. I thought he made a jump in that department. and You could argue Smith may have definitely played a role in that.
2: Well... Pass pro is not just technique, it's also mentality. Sure.
1: Yeah, but a coach could help with mentality. No question.
2: Yeah. And I think that that the biggest jump Saquon made for me this past season was in the pass pro because he was functional in pass protection where in the past he was unsatisfactory.
1: Well, and also just like, and I didn't mean to cut you off, you know how when you don't talk about an offensive lineman, that's good news, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember us talking about Saquon in pass protection throughout this season, right? Mm -hmm. A key moment, a key game, and so forth.
2: I don't recall, to be frank with you, there were some times where maybe he didn't make the best block. Well, sure, but we're made, talking about a subtle but team. I don't remember like seeing him blown up exactly. that's that's what I was getting at. Yeah. So,, uh, yeah, I absolutely think that. and and that's how the McCaffrey connection can help because whatever uh, Nixon may have done to help either philosophically or technique wise, with McCaffrey to allow him to excel in all areas of the game, potentially there's something that he could bring to Saquon that could polish a particular area of his game, okay? Maybe with a new technique or a new voice. I'm not saying that they wanted to lose DeAndre because obviously they didn't. Sure. It was, he, he decided to go. He wasn't let go. He went. So well, he had strong ties to Steichen. Yes. The UNLV days. Yes. Yes. So it's understandable sometimes guys with connections will leave. Of course. So that's fine. I'm not holding anything against him for it. But maybe a different voice. There's a potential that there'll be some little thing there that he might help bring out in Saquon that he already brought out in McCaffrey.
1: And the other thing that's on his resume, which could help, in line with this pass protection conversation. He was the tight ends coach for the Niners yes. in 2016. Yes. So not just a running backs coach, tight ends he worked with, offensive coordinator on an interim basis, special teams, offensive assistant. We're talking about varied experience on the resume. Well, route running
2: could well. be part of that.
1: That's another item. Absolutely. So we'll open up the phone lines. I do want to get to Eric enemy He had his press conference yesterday because it does relate to the division and a team the Giants will be facing
5: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Ron, in the meantime, let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513, but that's a teaser because first we do need to get some other items out of the way. Make sure you go subscribe to the Giant Settle podcast. It features a variety of different elements in season, off season. It's mostly obviously one-on-one interviews dealing with the combine, the draft, and upcoming opponents and perhaps what happens with free agency. Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. You can stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more... About all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And also, the Giants' official connected TV streaming app. It's Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. All right. Now, let's officially delve into the phone lines. As we move forward here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, Jerome is in Charlotte. He gets us going on BBKL. What's happening, Jerome?
6: Hey, guys. Love the show. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I had two questions. Um, Since y'all brought up the the other football leagues, um, you think possible they'd be looking at advancing somebody from them? And um, Hmm. also, uh, not that. You know, I know Barkley Jones and Love is the top three free agents that we have and we signed um the receiver Isaiah Hodges from
1: exclusive restricted yeah. free agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: We we signed him, but the Lord the other um uh, free agents, who on that list is a must have um that's worth uh resigning. I know uh, Slayton is kind of on the bubble, but the other ones, you know, even him or the, definitely the other ones. Sure. And no, we could get into
1: that. No, that, that's a fair question and appreciate the phone call, Jerome. Well, uh, let me just quickly address. He was asking about the other leagues. Interestingly, I just had a conversation on one of my Sirius XM shows with Billy Devaney. I'm sure a name that you recognize, Paul, former Rams GM, who was actually there with Steve Spagnolo when Spags joined him as the head coach. Interestingly, he was telling me, I mean, they wanted Spags perhaps even the year prior, but the Giants went on a deep Super Bowl run, of course, in 2007. He ultimately got the gig a year later, just a little tidbit, much further removed from that time element. But anyway, getting back to the point at hand, he now is the general manager of the New Jersey Generals in the USFL. And we were talking about the excitement year two in the league. And even he admitted, he goes, listen, it's a great project, but it's a developmental league, and to think that it's going to be sort of like the NCAA college football funneling players to the NFL is impractical at the end of the day. Could a few guys get opportunities? Right. Sure. For example, Cavante Turpin, the great return man for the Cowboys, who we saw in the division, he came from the Generals. And Dallas – was able to grab him. Could we see maybe one or two players overall pull every year? Mm-hmm. Don't think that's crazy to expect all 32 teams to take a guy or two on a consistent basis. I think that's a bit of a
2: stretch. I concur. I mean, I've I've tried to watch. Well, you didn't necessarily give
1: a roaring applause uh, to the league off the top of the show. So, I wasn't expecting anything different.
2: Yeah. It's um it's not easy to watch. Now, I know the Giants do have a scout uh, at least one. Well, and you should do your due diligence. Who does? Yeah. Who does watch the games and is looking for a potential crumb that might fall through the cracks? And uh, you know they would give a call to. I, I get that. Um, but you know, in fact, earlier this year, the Giants had an offensive lineman in here on the practice squad for a few weeks. I'm trying to think of his name now. I can't recall. Can look that up. Yeah, but names he, escaping He me was well. an XFL guy. And he had had been here for about a month or so, I think. He was an offensive lineman. And um, after a few weeks, you know, they continued to shuffle guys. Oh, there was a lot of
1: movement last year.
2: (laughs) He uh, lost his horse on the carousel is what it came <laughs> that's down one here.
1: way to put it look at you an analogy which doesn't require food i'm amazed you are progressing and growing <laughs> in front of our very own eyes did you like take your medication this morning or something it's amazing oh, oh, oh. wow i'm amazed
2: oh um. wow
1: i am blown away i hope the audience can put this in perspective can you ladies and gentlemen remember where you are at 12:57 p.m <laughs> eastern on february 24th 2023 when paul DeTino gave you a carousel horse analogy which had nothing to do with pasta or food. Please, I'm sorry. I just I wanted to it's take okay. a step back. Yes. It's okay.
2: I, I I hope you can continue It's going to be difficult for me. Yeah. But but um I believe if I'm not mistaken, he was the only player this year that came in from one of those spring leagues to Giants camp.
1: For the Giants you're talking yes. about, not league wide. For the Giants. I'm sure there may have been other No, no, there were two. other guys, yeah, but for the, for the Giants, Giants
2: Gotcha. I don't think there was any more than him. I think he was the only one. But anyway.
1: Well, the other part of the question before we head back to the Lions, which I thought was a good question. So he was asking, outside of the top three, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Julian Love, who would you say is a must, I believe that was the phrase, to bring back? And we had a little mm-hmm. bit of this conversation, Paul, earlier in the offseason season. I'll give you one on offense and one on defense. Mm -hmm. I would say Nick Gates is my offensive guy because Mm -hmm. of his versatility on the offensive line. It's not easy to find guys at free agency and the draft who could play multiple positions and also could very well start. That's not a stretch at all. Nick Gates has proven he can absolutely be a valuable component. And then on defense, I thought Jihad Ward showed enough flashes Mm -hmm. that if they wanted to bring him back, I think there's a role for them to carve out for him. So those would be my two,
2: one on each side of the ball. I'll give you one more. Uh, Casey Kreider. Special teams. Really good long snapper. Now, I know he had a couple a couple of misplays this year, but I think for the time that he's been with the Giants, he has been steady, solid. Uh, you can't, you cannot ever ignore the value of that position until that position goes awry and makes a mistake.
1: Anyone else on offense or defense that I didn't name come to mind? Well, you, I mean, you
2: can make a case for. Here's the thing. I like Darius Slayton, but I understand they want to upgrade. He had again, his percentage of drops is is makes you makes you kind of clench your, your teeth a little bit. So, I know that they'll want to do better in the wide receiver room, which means Slayton and James are guys that you like, they they did some good things, they had some production. But if you can upgrade, I think you try to. Um, on defense, you know, um, are you are you at all interested in uh, Davis' at inside linebacker? Did he show you enough in the couple of games that he was here that you may want to bring him back as veteran insurance in case Beavers doesn't make it back well off the injury and they can't get somebody during the offseason? Would you want to bring back Davis?
1: I think – There's a spot for him, potentially. I think that's another position to target, an upgrade. But if we're talking about depth, just like one of those wide receivers you mentioned, Paul, if the Giants get to the point where maybe there's not a wealth of interest in them and they're not finding a spot that's attractive and they went to Darius Slade and Richie Mm -hmm. James and said, hey guys, we've been more than happy to have you come back and compete for the fifth or the sixth wide receiver spot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I could look at Jared Davis in the same way.
2: Those are the kinds of guys that that I would mention. Obviously, I'm not talking about Sterling Shepard because injury-wise, that's a medical question. Yeah, it's a waiting game. I can't even discuss that or contemplate him until I know what his medical situation is, and then we can have that conversation. So I don't want people to all of a sudden say, "Well, you didn't mention John Sterling Shepherd." Well, to me, you can't talk about. There's him. a caveat connected right, to him. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, those would kind of be the guys, and then you know, I have I have some personal favorites who, in addition, I'm, I'm, I'm a Landon Collins guy. I do think there's a role for him in this defense. I really do. I don't know if they think so, but I do. I'd like to see him come back, but I certainly couldn't make him a high priority above the guys we just talked about.
1: Well, also keep in mind, I think a lot of the guys that we just mentioned, you don't really necessarily have to break open the piggy bank for if you do want to bring them back. Right. Meaning if there's mutual mm-hmm. interest, I think the numbers can work out, Paul, that they can return. So I think that's encouraging from that standpoint. And and
2: this is a crazy thought, but we've just discussed a bunch of guys and never mentioned Fabian Moreau, who started most of the season, and to be honest, was very functional.
1: Well, we really, we now brought up two guys in the secondary, that weren't with the team to start the season, which, remember, that was the huge theme this past mm-hmm. season, right? Joe Shane, even when he spoke to the media, had mentioned they led the NFL at one point with the most guys that weren't here in September.
2: Twelve, I believe it was. Yeah.
1: so those are two guys. I'm sure if you spoke to Wink Martindale, he has very positive thoughts about what they did and what they sacrificed for the team. So, like anything else, you go into an offseason, you're always looking to upgrade. If the upgrade doesn't come because the market doesn't allow that, there is nothing wrong with turning back to players that
2: proved to be extremely valuable for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you there. And and even though we didn't get a lot of burn, I like Matt Breida. Yeah. I like him as a backup running back. I really do. Now you know the running back room right now is in flux because Saquon's no, yeah, not the guy ahead in. of the depth chart. Sure. So I really don't even want to think about the running back room until I know what he's going to do.
1: Well, speaking of the running back room, in addition to Matt Breida, and I know we're not talking about a free agent, but I thought another guy that took <clears throat> advantage of his snaps this past season was Gary Brightwell. Yes. And if they want to move him up the depth chart, let's say Breida doesn't come back, hypothetically speaking, Brightwell can be the second man to turn to. I think he I think that's enough. possible.
2: I think that's very possible.
6: I yeah. mean, he had
1: some big burst runs. And economically, he's friendly. That's more of a reason. He's on a rookie contract. Yeah, now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, once again, continue to look at options, but I think there's an internal candidate there that is attractive. Mm-hmm. All right, let's head back to the lines. We go to DJ in Virginia Beach. DJ, welcome to BBKL. What do you got for us? Hey, Lance. Hey Paul. Hi. How are you doing? Doing well? Doing well. Sure. Absolutely. How are you? What's on your mind? All
3: right. So I got two things. Uh, one, I wanted to address the elephant in the room. Uh, I know that all the talk is that Daniel Jones is probably going to get franchise tagged. So I wanted to talk about how, or get you guys to talk about how that affects uh, Saquon Barkley, because essentially you're you're going to lose him, I guess, in a sense, because you can't franchise tag two people. And what does that do as far as the compensatory picks? Because I was seeing some things about we're possibly getting two comp picks, but then I didn't hear anything about Evan Ingram being one of the um, one that you get a comp pick
2: for. All right, the I'll Giants have nine picks, and in all likelihood, they're going to get two. To make it 11. Which will yeah. give them 11. Ingram is part of that equation, why it's going to be 11. Yes. It's a mathematical oh, okay. equation, essentially.
3: Okay. Okay, yeah, I thought they were saying something about getting one for Carter and someone else.
1: And not. Well, the way I, I guess the best way that I would piggyback over what Paul is saying, DJ, is it's not necessarily you get a compensatory pick for each player you lose. The NFL, they look at everyone you lost, and then there once again, there's an equation that they don't reveal publicly. Right. So we have no idea how they calculate it, but it's not you get one for Evan Ingram, you get one for another guy. Right. They take everything into consideration. Sometimes it equates <laughs> to two picks, sometimes one, sometimes none. It's gonna vary. Year-to-year. And
2: remember, part of that equation are the free agents that you sign.
1: They offset that.
2: It offsets. Yeah. Correct. Checks and balances. So anyway, but in all likelihood, the Giants will get two later compensatory picks. They're not going to be high-level. They'll be later ones. Third day.
3: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and my other question was about uh, measurables and, like, why they're important. Like, I get measurables when you're talking about a quarterback like, you know, a shorter quarterback is going to be for in the sea over the line. And, right. You know, you want tackles with longer arms. And, mm-hmm. you know, cornerbacks who are a little bit taller because, you know, if you're going up against a taller receiver, you know, it's a little length. bit harder. Length.
2: Not well, even height, but length. Length is very important when you're talking about guys in the secondary.
3: Okay. Well, I'm just trying to figure out, and, like, maybe you guys can explain it to me a little bit better about why is it so important for, like, a wide receiver? Because, like, the guy that I love, uh, Zay Flowers, I hear the knock on him is that he's short and like he can't play on the outside because he's 5'10 or whatever. And it's like there are a lot of receivers that, you know, I can think of like that were shorter that were successful on the outside. Like, you know, a Steve Smith, uh, a T.Y. Hilton, even Tyreek Hill, you know, he's shorter. I know he's a lot faster, but, you know, even uh, Antonio Brown, like they're shorter guys. But shouldn't the most important thing be can the guy get open and like what? He Does with the ball once it's in his hands, like yeah. his, does he have
2: good hands? Mm, I understand that. What what this game has become over the years is more and more of a matchup game than it is anything else. And what happens is if you have a receiver who is not as physically uh, what's the word I'm impressive, let's just say, whether it's length, whether it's size with height. Uh, or whether it's with physicality because he's he's as thin as a rail, chances are if he's lining up against a press corner, the press corner is going to beat the stuffing out of him, and he's not going to let him get into his routes. Okay? So if you draft a particular player who doesn't have those attributes, you say to yourself, all right, when we're matching up against certain opponents, he's not going to be much of a factor in those games. And so you have to decide with the scheme you have with what you're running and what you're asking certain players to do. If he's going to be one of those players, he's got to be able to do the checklist that you want. And if you don't think he can handle that checklist, then that player's not for you. That's why the game isn't necessarily about pure measurables across the board because measurables that I want in a wide receiver may not be the ones that Lance wants in a wide receiver, depending upon – his scheme, his philosophy, who he already has on his roster, and how he's going to match up against certain defenses. You how see, he's gonna be used. It's yeah. a very complex question. This this again, this is why I love the game. Because there are multiple layers of the onion and you gotta keep peeling back the skin to get to all the different levels. It's not just a simple, easy answer.
1: Because, to your point, DJ, the wide receiver you mentioned, I guarantee you, if you consulted with half of the league, they'd probably have him ranked in various different spots depending on how they would utilize a guy like that. And so, it
2: wouldn't just be because of talent. No, it would be a because variety of, of these factors. other factors.
1: Sure, correct. Where they'd line him up, all the things you talked no about question. physicality, can he get open, which you mentioned? I would agree with you. I think that's important, but it depends on where they would run him because, I mean, for example, if they line him up in the slot, there's going to be a lot of traffic. Maybe that counters his speed because he's not just going to be able to run by people. So where you're aligned maybe eats into the ability to get open. A lot
2: of those things are obviously going to come up in the conversation. Other questions would be how elusive is he after he gets the ball? What are, what yeah. are his ball security issues? Does he get loose with the ball after he catches the ball? I don't care if he gets open. But if he's he's fumbling the ball, or he can't hold on to the ball, or he doesn't attack the ball, well, guess what? He's not checking those boxes. And for that matter, too, when the Giants had Parcells as coach and Tom Coughlin was their wide receiver's coach, there was a mandate that those receivers all better be able to block some for the running backs because the Giants were a run-oriented team with Joe Morris or with Otis Anderson. The deal was – you better be able to block, even as a wide receiver, or you're not getting on the field. Well, I remember when Tyke
1: Tolbert was here? Remember he mm-hmm. raced down the field with them at practice. Yes. And Sterling Shepard, when Barkley was a rookie and Odell was here. I mean, think about the extra yardage Barkley got because of what the wide
2: receivers did no down the field. So that's the answer. It's not just a straight measurables. Oh, this guy's five ten. This guy's five nine and a half. No, that's not going to work. That's not that. That's, that's that is so not the question. There are 25 other questions you have to answer, and it just so happens that in many instances, a diminutive receiver will probably leave more boxes unchecked, and you're going to have to have a specific person who wants those checked boxes in order to favor him on a wide receiver list. Did I, did I explain that for you?
3: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I guess I didn't really think about the blocking aspects, which the Giants. It's all part about, of it. So.
2: It's all part of it. And yeah. the, and the, and last but not least, what do you have in your wide receiver room? Right. I I tell right. this to all of our guys all the time. I think you have to have a mix of guys in the receiver room. I don't want guys who are all five eleven and under in my wide receiver room. If I'm a head coach or a GM, there better be a skyscraper in there. I need a guy in there who's at least six two, preferably six three or six four. I want a tall guy in that room. I don't want it to be all five, ten, five, eleven guys. To me, that's unacceptable.
1: And DJ, appreciate the phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring here. What that relates to is conversations about Wandell Robinson coming into last year's draft, right? The Giants picked him high, but there are other teams that probably were turned off by him. Unfortunately, he suffered the torn ACL. I do think he's an attractive commodity coming back to next season, but you look at the way the Giants valued him. is not necessarily the same way that the 31 other teams Absolutely. valued him. So that's an example. And Devontae Smith, remember we were having conversations. You were a little bit concerned about his frame. He's held up very I, nicely.
2: He has, to his credit, has yeah. outperformed what I thought and out been more durable than I thought. Yep. Coming into that draft, I was much higher on Jalen Waddell. I, I was very adamant about it. Waddle would be the guy for me. Who's also not performed nicely as well. Yeah, and that's why I'm not going to back down because Waddle has well, done his share too. I wasn't bringing it up for you to back down. I wasn't <laughs> that's expecting. Okay. it. okay.
1: I just remember that you were concerned about the Vontae frame, and we had a lot of conversations. And I still am. On that. He's
2: only been yeah. in the league two years. Sure, but I mean, so far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, I, he 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 has definitely uh, you know proven me wrong in that regard. But I wasn't wrong about Waddle. One other thing I wanted to
1: address that the last caller brought up, it was a question about if Daniel Jones is given the franchise tag, then how could the Giants retain Saquon Barkley? I don't look at it, Paul, that if one player's tagged, you can't bring back the other. All it means is is that Barkley would have an opportunity to speak to other teams, but that doesn't mean that you can't have negotiations and find the deal. So don't look at it through the narrow lens of, you have two players, you can only give the tag to one, and the
2: guy you don't give the tag to, there's no way that he could come back. Yeah, it's not automatic that if one guy gets tagged, you're stuck with one and can't get the other. Sure. That's, that's absolutely not the case. And to be frank with you, it just makes it a little stickier and a little a little difficult, but there are machinations. If the Giants had to, they could tag the higher player, that is the quarterback, and still get a deal with Barkley and have both guys come back. It does scrunch things a little more than they'd like. That's why the preference, I believe, would be to sign Jones and use the tag on Barkley if they need it. Well, That's because the, it's also a more digestible number take one. Yes. With yes. Yeah. Economically speaking, that gives them more breathing room within the cap. But it could work the other way. It's not like it can't work. It could work if they had to do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Remember, it also depends on are we talking
2: about the non exclusive tag or the exclusive tag? Because for, I don't think any way the exclusive tag gets used here. I don't, I, in fact, hardly anybody ever does use it. No, I get that. I think
1: maybe Lamar Jackson it gets utilized for. Maybe. Perhaps. I wouldn't do it. Well, um, <laughs> good thing this is not BaltimoreRavens.com, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> as we return Fine. to Giants.com programming. But. I'm saying from Baltimore's standpoint, they may value utilizing the exclusive tag because they don't want him talking to other teams. To your point, are the Giants worried about that with Daniel Jones? Perhaps not. The only reason I brought that up is from an economic standpoint, and this I think gets overlooked, $32 million for the non-exclusive, $45 million for the exclusive. Well, we That is a sizable job. That
2: number doesn't come out till the end of
1: April. Correct. But— that is a oh, it's, noticeable it's a joke. joke. And it's a, you have to prepare accordingly for
2: that. Yeah. yeah, that that's why that tag is almost never used in the league because it's just it's too exorbitant. So really when people talk about the tag, they really don't even think about that third tag. Sure.
1: I just I don't know if we've had a situation, not to get off topic, similar to Lamar where we see reports where the money – is
2: separated Yeah, this is the much, first time I've seen right? a lot of I, ink about that exclusive tag, which is the higher number. I've, I've, yep. I don't remember seeing so much publicity about it before.
1: Well, I also think this is life post Deshaun Watson's contract, right? Yeah. I mean, think about this. That messed up have, everything. Oh, boy. The 31 other teams, the minute that the ink dried on Deshaun Watson's contract, and I am not talking about anything related to off the field. Don't misinterpret this. I'm talking about him getting 230 million guaranteed. Yep. Okay, because that is a big talking point for every quarterback that comes after
2: him. Unbelievable. Yeah, That's I don't think making, you want me to go on a three. No, a I rant do not. I contract, just the
1: reason I bring that up is because it relates to Lamar mm-hmm. and the use of the exclusive tag. Mm-hmm. That is why I brought it up.
5: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: From that standpoint. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Phil in North Carolina, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Phil? What do you got for us?
4: Hey, guys. I uh, enjoy the show, as usual. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, good. Um, anyway, I want to talk a little bit about big positional value in the big, big picture. You know, I was... You know, with Saquon, uh, I'm not in favor of getting into 13 plus territory. Just not. I wasn't in favor of picking you know that high for running back slash. You know, I know you know Lance. You like to use the term uh, you know weapon, uh, but uh, weapons are more efficient as a wide receiver in today's game. So, but the other part of it is. I understand the point of when someone is really impacts so much more than uh, you know the positional value. Meaning, uh, I've always advocated for a strong middle linebacker, even though he's only going to be on the field forty percent of the time. The reason why is that that forty percent can affect eighty percent of the defensive calls, even when he's not on it. If he makes stops at the line of scrimmage and he's pulled off the field, he's dictating the rest of that defensive sequence. So
1: Sure, so, but he's it's, still only going to be on the field for two out of every three downs, and it's the old story about more bang for your buck. Meaning, if I'm taking a guy off every three plays for one play, am I getting true value depending on what it's going to cost me to keep him on the roster? Because it's more about a snap count question that I think it goes back to, Phil. I understand your point. You're saying that his play is dictating the down and distance or what the opponent is seeing on third down, and that's a fair point. But I think the way that general managers and executives are thinking of is how many defensive snaps there were and how many of those snaps is that guy on the field for. I think that's at least helps from an economic evaluation standpoint. Phil,
2: you kind of destroyed your own argument about the running back, too, because now you're talking about the context of the player. And the running back, if you have a legit running back – it helps in your red zone, it dictates a lot about what the defense is going to do in the red zone, and it also is very, very important in ball control, especially in your four-minute attack. So you've basically blown your own argument about the running back out of the water in terms of the positional value.
1: Well, and also Saquon stays on the field for all three downs. Exactly. That's the other thing.
2: Yeah.
4: yeah no, no, let me, Paul, if I can interject. No, it's not that extreme, Paul. It's in terms of, I, I'm trying to lay context to the positional value. I'm not generally in favor of drafting a running back at two. But I do Well, but I mean, remember, that's a past thing. At this point... Wait a minute, let me yeah. finish. Let me finish. I do understand the bigger picture of if he impacts such a large part of the game, that's why I gave the example of the linebacker, then you can... It's not quite black and white.
1: Sure. Well, you also had mentioned, Phil, in passing, that you didn't think Saquon was as efficient as a receiver. You actually look at him compared to other running backs. He was top 10 in receptions at his position. So I would say that's pretty efficient if you finish top 10 in the NFL at your respective position in receptions. So I would disagree the sentiment that even though we were talking about we thought he'd give you more as a receiver within the context of the rest of the NFL landscape, that's pretty efficient.
2: You know, it really, as with anything, a blanket statement is fool's gold because there's always going to be exceptions. I mean, when Tiki Barber had his last three years with the Giants and he was as devastating and as dominant as any running back in the history of this league for that three-year period of time, he was the entire offense. You could make a very strong argument that Tiki Barber would have been worth the second overall pick in the draft had you just looked at those three years of what he did for this team. So, oh, so no. Phil, to be honest, yeah, a blanket ready, statement, you've got to get away from that. That's not a good idea for you.
4: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm older than you, so I even remember a much older running back. So, uh, but, yeah, no, that, uh, that's why I try to give the example of a linebacker, that I generally feel a certain way, but there are exceptions. And so I no think doubt. we can all agree on that.
2: And Barkley's one of those guys.
4: You well, know, you know, the devil's in the detail, right? So, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, listen, appreciate the phone call, Phil. Well, well. Barkley is the exception because, as we just laid out, he contributes in other areas. Now, we could have a whole separate conversation about running back, taking him that high in the draft when you could then perhaps see After three or four years, you can find another guy to take his place. And we've seen a lot of late-round picks on Super Bowl-winning teams, such as Isaiah Pacheco for Kansas City this past year. I'm not going to dispute that. The Giants need to look at it through the lens of And I think this is what you were getting at, Paul. If you remove Saquon Barkley, what does that mean for our offense? If we were to bring in another running back, Mm -hmm. considering Mm -hmm. Saquon was one of your best offensive weapons this year. So what is life without Saquon? Go
2: back to my everlasting question. Who are the headache players on this Giants offense if Saquon Barkley is not here? Yeah, Aside from the pra- quarterbacks, the quarterback doesn't count. The quarterback is sure. his own guy. Besides, well, the if guy we're who, talking
1: about production, Isaiah Hodgins would be the next no, guy that I throw. Out.
2: Headache guy, I'm talking well, about I, I mean, a guy it, who is so dominant that the defensive coordinator has to make special plans for him. Isaiah Hodgins is a no. Good player. I don't think he does not draw special no, attention. No, if you're
1: classifying it that way, no. Headache. Player. I'm just talking. I was looking more of production guy. No, no. If you remove that, I'm them. not talking headache about production players,
2: Headache player. You'd be struggling to find multiple okay, players. The guy the state who, board. when Bill Belichick sits down on Monday night, because yeah, he's infamous player. for this. Sure. He's infamous for when I sit down, and this comes from the Parcells theory, sit down Monday night, we're going to have the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator start constructing the game plans. Who is the guy, two guys or three guys that they're saying about on that other team's opposite end of the spectrum is the headache player that's going to keep us up all night because we got to make sure we take care of him. We have to make special plans to take him out. And that's what Belichick always says. We start with that one guy. Now, if you have more than one guy, it's a luxury. Oh, absolutely. And now yeah. you can start talking about, if you want to, well, what would the Giants be like without Barkley? Because if they had a if they had a plexical Burris, okay, what Kenny Galladay was supposed to be, right? If they had a headache player at wide receiver, well, guess what? They would have one. If you put Barkley out of the equation, that does make a difference because the other team's coordinator is going to skew his entire defensive game plan that week after taking care of that headache player. That's why it's important. Okay. Barkley's their only headache player on offense.
1: I was going to say, the only other guy I would have thrown out, if he was healthy, I think you could have made a case for Wandell Robinson. If Robinson stayed on the field this year... That's a long way to
2: go to prove that. of
1: course. Well, but you got a sniff of that in the Lions game when he had over 100 receiving yards and he was doing a lot of damage after the catch.
2: Galladay should have been that guy and wasn't. Kadarius Toney should have been that guy and he wasn't. You know? It just... Well, there's a lot of coulda, woulda,
1: shoulda yeah, conversation. Yeah, exactly. Which says a lot about, once again, the value of Saquon and Barkley. Barkley.
2: was able to come back and be that guy again, even after two years of significant injury. Now,
1: with that being said, though, here's the thing within that conversation. If you're the Giants front office, you need to ask yourself, and I bring this up when talking about the NBA, and I'm going to bring up Kobe Bryant as an example, the late, great Kobe Bryant. Remember the Lakers, if you recall, towards the end of his career, they gave him that last contract. Right. Paid him a lot of money. That, to me, was more of... We're rewarding you for what you've done for the organization as opposed to paying you for what you're going to do moving forward. So Saquon, there's got to be a similar thought process, Paul, because of the wear and tear on his body already over the lifetime of the rookie contract. You need to ask yourself, yes, what did he provide for us last season, and what is life going to be without in the short term without him? But also, if we were to give him a multi-year contract, right? I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. I'm not campaigning for this. But if they gave him a three- or a four-year deal, what is Saquon going to be in 2025, 2026? You have to think like that when you have conversations regarding a player
2: like okay. that. Okay, here's the other part, though, that you left out. Because he has missed so much time because of injury, those are all the less hits that he hasn't taken. Sure, but... He's taken a lot fewer hits than like an Emmett Smith did when Emmett Smith was playing it in his fifth
1: season. 100%, but you're assuming that he's going to stay on the field to be able to well, absorb those hits, but, Paul. That's but, a different story. But,
2: but the point is... If you're going to lay out that equation, you have to put all the components in. It. You can't just yeah. put half of the components no, I, I,
1: in. It. I wasn't removing that from the equation. It's a well, fair point you're bringing up, but what I'm saying is there's enough concern with the injury history that to me that overshadows the selling point of, well, he hasn't taken his medicine. That's hits up yet. to the
2: medical staff to 100%. decide. Yeah. That's not for us to figure but
1: out. But all we're bringing up it's is fair, topics that are worthy of It's
2: fair up, to yeah. throw that into the hopper. Yeah. But it's the medical folks that have to figure out what they believe the risk injury is and how that quotient could affect his value.
1: Also, I would have my research team be looking into similar players that maybe were a little bit beat up early in their career at the running back position. Not that everybody's the same. And what the trajectory looked like. Just to get an idea, especially if they did receive a second contract. All of that is
2: relevant. Dolphins uh, medical staff wouldn't pass Drew Brees. Right, and the Saints. They, they, they did. thought they thought the medical yeah. the medical quotient wasn't good enough. They let him out of the building, and the Saints said, "No, nah, we could we could take a chance on that. Drew Brees is going to go to the Hall of Fame." So, you know, there's no exact science on that, but it is an equation that needs to have all the numbers in it before you spit out an answer. And and I'm not I'm not qualified from a medical perspective no, to answer that part. Am of I it. expecting you to? But I certainly think from a football philosophical perspective. If you don't have Barkley here, then you're you're hurting not only this offense, but Daniel Jones, who is you believe you're going to bring. I don't think they're going to lose both. I mean, I think if if anything happens, one of them, one of them, minuscule chance one of them is gone. I still think they're both here. For both of them to be gone, I don't see any way in the world that happens, that both guys are gone. Okay? My point is this. You take Barkley away, you better replace him with another headache player. And I don't want to hear it's going to be the first round pick at number twenty-five in the draft. No, I don't want to hear that. No,
1: but you could get a running back in the draft, maybe in the middle rounds. I don't think that's crazy. Well,
2: that's fine, but that's yeah. not a headache player.
1: Who's well, the headache player in college? Who's the
2: headache player going to be if you get rid of Saquon Barkley? Are you ah. going to make a trade for DeAndre Hopkins? So you're talking about another position, though, because I might you're have just to talk about running back. Might have to be. Well, you're to, are you going to sign Jeff Jacobs? Josh, Josh Jacobs from yeah, the sorry. Raiders. Yeah.
1: You're going to sign him? Well, he may be given the franchise tag. All Who right. knows?
2: So, yeah. But the point is, you remove Barkley, you have to have another proven headache player here. Because if you go into the season and tell Daniel Jones, you don't have any headache players, guess what? You've just taken a whole step backwards again. Yeah. I'm completely with you on
1: that front. I just I didn't know whether you were classifying it running back to running back because you can replace the production of a running back headache-wise with a wide receiver or another position is my a, argument.
2: An offensive player, a yeah. headache player. You know? All that's, that's relevant. That, yeah. That's what I'm telling you. You want to, want to, to trade for Travis Kelsey? Make, make it, have wow. a headache player at tight end? <laughs> okay, fine. Good Whatever. Luck. Good luck getting Brett Veach to stay on the I'm, phone, I'm, who's
1: their general manager get, beyond the second. Just yeah. get...
2: The idea is to compile headache players, not subtract them.
1: Let's head back to the lines. we got Alex in Syracuse here on the phones on BBKL. What's happening, Alex?
0: Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How you guys doing? Good to talk to you.
1: You're right. Appreciate the call. What do you got for us?
0: Yeah. Uh, I was, I'm going to kind of go back to something you guys were talking about a minute ago. Uh, talk about Daniel and, and the contract. Uh, I've been thinking about it this week, and I was thinking to myself, if I were Joe Shane, right, and if I was in that position trying to negotiate with Daniel and his fancy new agent's, I would do it this way. I would make it pretty simple in a way. I would say to Daniel, hey, look, we want you back. There's, there's no world in which you're not going to be a giant next year, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of have one of two options. Option A, uh, we're going to franchise tag you, right? We're going to pay you the $32 million, And here's what that looks like. That looks like only one year of security for you. It means we have a huge cap hit for that this one year, which means we're not going to be able to build around you in the mm-hmm. way that we really want to build around you. Sure. Or, Option two, we're going to offer you, and again, this is not exactly my rule, but like something like, let's say, a three-year deal, you know, for whatever it's going to be, and you're actually, maybe it's $117 million, so you're making, what, 39 a year on average. It's not going to be staggered that way, but that allows us to, you know, build some stuff around you over the next three years. It provides you some security. God forbid you get hurt. Who knows where you might be after a one-year franchise deal. You've been listening so to so me I for the I last
2: three like, months, haven't you? Because you've just spouted you've just spouted back my entire philosophy on this. I've been preaching this for months. I
0: have been listening. I have been listening. There you go. You're a a smart man. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it.
1: Or you need to be perhaps psychologically evaluated if you're following his advice too. It could go both ways, but go (laughs) ahead. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough.
2: No, and all of that you think that's a realistic way to approach it. Sure it is. Sure it is. But what you don't know is is that camp one of the minority of the league who sees things in that way, okay? Right. There, are, there, are, there are not a lot of players and certainly not a lot of agents in this league that think mutually beneficial deals are the best way to go. They're the most logical, they're the most sensible, they're the most rationale, but they don't put the most money in the pockets of the player or the agent. Sure.
1: Well, that's why you got to find the middle ground and appreciate the phone call, Alex. I mean, we could go through different hypotheticals of the negotiation process. You have a player that wants to be rewarded. You have a team that wants to fit that within the constraints of the salary cap. In order to make it work, you got to find that middle ground. And that's the task at hand. The salary cap has weapons such as the franchise tag to get a little bit over those hurdles. But that's only a short-term solution, not necessarily a long-term solution. So that's why I understand where the last caller was coming from. All right. That is going to wrap up. Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We did want to get to Eric bien We will save that for Monday's program. We will tackle that in terms of how that relates to the NFC East because the Giants are going to face that Washington offense Mm -hmm. twice. We will be, obviously, at the scouting combine next week, but there will be a program up on Monday, so stay tuned for that. It will not be live, but we will have a full-hour program with a special guest to help break down some of the news around the NFL as it pertains to the New York Giants. As today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere, and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest and enjoy the rest of your Friday here on Big
0: Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets.